my spidey senses tingling. The only 30-year-old male who is an expert on early 80s buddy cop film soundtracks uh, to our hearts. He's slim. This is the Paper Keg Podcast, and this is episode 117. Welcome to this show. Biggest show we've ever done, hands down. I wouldn't lie to you uh, about how big this show is. Paperkeg.com. We talk about comics we're reading, Nias, and uh, we do a book club together. Biggest Spider-Man book of the 90s. Spider-Man 2099. Uh, and we'll read your letters to close out the show. Letters at paperkeg.com. Um, I have some bad news uh, right off the bat. Jonesy is drinking. Uh, he has broken his streak. Yep. I uh, just want to throw it out there. I'm going to apologize right off the bat to everyone listening. Last time Jonesy drank on the show, he embarrassed all of us and himself and his family. But do you uh, know even what the last episode was that I drank on? That's the I channel. Block, I blocked it out mentally. I might have even deleted the master file of that uh, episode. There he goes. Swigging. Uh, Jonesy Loves Beer is a writer. Uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. And uh, I am feeling a lot of non-alcohol-related energy uh, towards this upcoming episode. And just want to say good luck. Gassy. That's probably what it is. Uh, my uh, dear friend, VP of merch of this show, VP of haircuts tonight. I love the hoodie he's wearing, if I can be frank with you. He's uh, a yeah. podcast bad boy. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Welcome to the show, Dale. Uh, thanks. It's uh, My hoodies always look good from the shoulders up below. I look like a disgusting blob. I uh, I saw a picture in myself in a dress shirt earlier. I, and I looked like the, I was the fat, talented Mr. Ripley. It was disgusting. <laughs> oh, God, I'm excited about this show. Let's get down to brass tacks, Jonesy Drink. Uh, Spider-Man 2099, hard foil cover... Paper mache pages. I mean, they could crumble if you look at them the wrong way. <laughs> I, w- I brought out my copy from the long box for this. The the, the hard foil is like ninety percent of the comic book. I don't oh, believe God. it. What a what a what a day and age it was for this book. But you know, you two were at Baltimore Comic Con last week. Is that can you confirm that? Is we can confirm. We both went and Ooh. I attended. And I, I have the swag or swag or however you want to say it to prove it. Yeah, yeah. What kind? What? Well, let's break it down. How did you two, you guys? First of all, your podcast celebrities. And so I assume minds. that there was a limo sent to your home, maybe with a hot tub in the back. Can you? Well, walk we me did go scenario? to um, Baltimore from Philadelphia, and uh, you know Dale and I met in Delaware, and that's when the helicopter from Airwolf. 
uh, flew in <laughs> and airlifted us to the city. It was quite majestic. It was beautiful. J. Michael Vincent returned playing a pilot <laughs> and a cello. Is he alive? And I, a cello? I'm not, sure. I'm not even sure if any cast member on that show besides Jerry Van Dyke is still alive. What's uh, What was the con like? How was it? Uh, it was... Uh, it, if, you, if I could <laughs> drink, there's my sigh. If I could just tell you now, this will probably be the only con I will attend in the future. It was all about comics. There were no B-list TV celebrities that were trying to hawk their autographs. Jan Michael Vincent. Uh, or, mm-hmm. you know, Ernest Borgnine. God, I have rest in peace. Um, or anyone else. Uh, that was just trying to hawk their fifteen or twenty five or thirty dollar autographs. It was all comic creators, artists, fans. It was definitely for the comics. I'll be going to this one uh, for now on. Yeah, I was I was pretty stunned. Like Jonesy, I first time for both of us rolling in Baltimore. We had to run an errand in the city of Baltimore first. <laughs> Did uh, Jonesy out, alcohol? Did he, outside. was he like craving alcohol the second he got in the car? We w- we stopped to the first liquor store off of 95 in the worst probably neighborhood from, right from the wire. I had to, and, I forgot uh, a corkscrew. I had to just smash the tops of the bottles open. And once, drink. once we got into the con, I was, I was gobsmacked at the experience within. Mm-hmm. Um, like Jonesy said, it's all comics, and any fan of the medium would be would consider themselves lucky to be able to experience this thing at least once. It was uh, separated into two, basically two rooms joined together. One side was the uh, you know the myriad of dealers hawking their wares, everybody uh, selling goods, cheap comics, etc. And then the the other room was just a huge artist alley. I mean, that was so cool. And and when we say artist alley, because we both said it at the same time just now, we say artist alley. It, I mean, it's literally everybody you've heard of in the industry, even people that you've only heard of on Twitter, and you're like, holy crap, I know them, I know their name on Twitter, but I don't know what to talk to them about because I'm not familiar with their work. I just know them from Twitter. Hmm. So I and oh, sorry, Dale. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I have predetermined talking points that uh, we we jotted down the day of, and I just like to get some. Uh, I'm going to name out the talking point. Just get some reactions from Dale. So talking point number one: Chris Somney recognizes Dale without any help. No, stop. Yep, it. we both what? walk up, and Dale, why don't you go ahead and tell the story? All right, so we're in line for Chris Somney, one of our first run-ins of the day because we we just got to go i mean we got to go see him before he runs off to a panel or something we're standing in line i think i'm first jonesy's behind me and i stand up and get in front of him and he says are you dale no yeah, i swear i can confirm this i happened. swear to beans what is what's your what's the the scenario of your pants at this point do they just like shoot off and back into artist alley uh section nine? i just feel bad for the person trying to get a sketch from him because dale's you know pocket rocket went through the jeans and knocked his pen out of his hand and then uh, just a big streak went across the page it was it was chaos my, my belt uh was so tight it snapped off and knocked over one of the employees of the Stan Lee cologne booth. And not only that, he immediately launches into, Dale, let me tell you something about this sketch. Me and my wife were talking about how much detail I put in it. 
and uh, he got Lord Henry Baltimore for his sketch. And he's like, and just last night I was telling Mignola about how much fun I had drawing this sketch. Mignola was like, go ahead and bring it to me. Was this playing yeah. when you walked up in slow motion? <laughs> in his heart. We could all hear it around him. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I... Before I even saw... Well, first, George Costanza moment immediately. He says, didn't you already get a sketch? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, then why don't you get out of here and go, you know, he's just kidding around with me. But then I thought back. I was like, does he think I was already in line and I, and I got a sketch before and he thinks I'm going to sell it on eBay? Uh-oh. Or like, or did he mean a pre- I pre-ordered a sketch? So I think he probably thinks I'm a deadbeat. <laughs> and I'm no. just like re- like revolving in line. He That's probably was how he recognized me. Absolutely, returning the fan. He's a Dele fan now. So and he when said, he, thank, said he, get, he says thanks for all your kind words on the podcast to Dale. Oh man! So when he uh, said before I even saw the sketch, and he said his wife his wife got mad at him because he had was spending too much time on it. Immediately, mm. I started getting weak in my legs, jelly legs. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. And then he brought Lord Captain Lord Henry Baltimore, and he plopped it down in front of me, and I and I grasped Jonesy's shoulder, and I started crying into it. It was a beautiful it experience. Was, it was beautiful. Uh, and then he says, like, uh, he's like, I'll give it to you real quick. Just let me take a picture of picture of it to tweet it out. And I was like, Well, can you include me in the tweet? Chris Omni and he said no yeah, I will not include you in the tweet he, <laughs> it was amazing Dale's like oh would you mind giving me a shout out in that tweet and he just looks up Dale goes no no <laughs> so next talking point um, shouting titles you love at Mark Wade so we met so, we met Mark Wade back yeah. in the day Dale go ahead uh, next to Chris Omni he, Mark Wade was at a panel he was going to a panel when we were there with Chris but we you know we walked around the, the con floor a little bit and came back around Mark Wade's line was manageable and, and and the fact that these artists Mark Wade is there and he's not at a, a Marvel sponsored booth for an hour and a half like like all the other cons the publishers will bring these guys in for an hour and a half two hours and you gotta get in line there's an end of line, and if you're not in it, you're missing out. But these guys, I mean, they're just sitting there all day long, all weekend long, except if, unless they're, they're at a panel or something. Mm-hmm. So the chances of you getting to talk to these folks are amazing. So we're in line for Mark Wade, and and uh, Jonesy walks up to him. He's like, Mark Wade, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Should I just start shouting titles of the books I like at you? And <laughs> Mark Wade just loved it he was just laughing and laughing let me tell you i i told him before i left is like i'm gonna let the world know that what a great guy you are because you know because of your stories i was a little intimidated and he's like please don't let them know <laughs> he didn't want the world to know what a nice guy he was all right so we're running out of tapes so i'll just do one more and that is douche bagley you want to talk about that one <laughs> oh, dale oh no oh, what word ha- I, what should that be a fireside story <laughs> Sounds like it sounds like it's intense. All right, all right. During we'll, this song. We'll pick another one, and that is uh, <laughs> Jim Zub is the hardest working man in comic books right now. Jim Zub, we brought up uh, Paper Keg to Jim Zub. He immediately thanked us for all of our support. He is pimping Pathfinder, Skull Kickers. He's mm-hmm. talking to us about his Samurai Jack comic coming oh, up. Oh, I, f- I keep forgetting about that. It looks great. Samurai Jack, amazing. And... 
He is, I mean, he's at conventions like every other weekend. He's just the nicest guy. He's like sketching while talking to you. Amazing guy. And you would be uh, remiss to miss out on Jim Zub. He's shorter than I thought it was going to be, right? He's like you're pretty short. Really? Not that that's short. He's just like your height. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So a couple ones we're not going to get to, but uh, worth mentioning. Stan Sakai yearbook. David Peterson is amazing. We stood in line for Stan Sakai. We met the man. He sketched our yearbooks. Legend. (sighs) Stan effing Sakai was there, you know? Ryan Otley is a badass. You ever meet that guy in real life? I've never met Ryan Otley. He is like, uh, he's got one of those big goatees. He's dressed in black. He's got tattoos. He looks like he's got some kind of black belt in kung fu earlier in his life. Karate, as they call it. Karate. It means open handed. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And uh, David Peterson from Mouse Guard was Mm. there and did our, uh, he did sketches in our winter library editions. Yeah, that was a a classy booth he was running over there. Classy uh, merchandise. Good guy to talk to. Uh, Slim, obviously you were kind enough to get me a David Peterson autograph last year. Oh, yeah, that's Comic-Con. right. Forgot about that. And uh, a couple other things. Um, I don't know. It was, just, it was just a really great time, and the price was low for people, like 25 bucks on Saturday, 20 bucks on Sunday. Wow. Next year, I hear they're going to three days. Oh my! It might be so, a, it might be a boys' weekend next year, boys. Oh man, can you imagine? I think, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I do. Boys' weekend. You better start penciling that in now, Jonesy. On that calendar, it's already in my calendar. My is wife, that, no, wife it, knows. What is your wife's uh, uh, approval? Has she maybe knowed or yes to that? It's uh, better in the president's approval writing. That's all I'll say. Oh, my. That's controversial. That is a this very is controversial. Something statement. like that you don't want to spring until like two months before. Like she would approve now. My wife would approve now laughingly and jokingly, but mm. we all know it's. That's one that you set like eight reminders for, like at the eight month mark, <laughs> yeah. six month, four, and just continuously until uh, it annoys them and they just have, just do it. Just effing do it already. I don't care. I guess I'll stay here with the kids and uh, go crazy. I don't know. (laughs) I guess you go off and have fun. I guess you go off and have fun. Baltimore Comic Con, folks. It sounds sounds like a great time. And I can't wait for us to plan something for next year and then it just fall apart in front of us a week (laughs) before. In our endeavors uh, next year, we do have to... We know there's some kind of seedy underground... Uh, eyes wide shut thing happening between oh, yeah, you know retailers it. and artists. And there is definitely some I, Kubrickness happening during Baltimore Stan- Comic Con nights. And Stanley Frank Cho Kubrick is at the bottom of it. I oh, know my for heavens. a fact. My his his booth there was just there was a lot of sexy Frank Cho ladies. is not allowed to. You know he's not afraid to let it fly, guys. He's not. Seems like a straight shooter. He's just straight. He's got upper management written all over him. <laughs> uh, we're running out of time. We need to get into the comic talk, and I'll start it off. I'm going to shock you right now. Mm, please do. Can I shock you? Please do. I read a comic from our dear friends at Dark Horse Comics. Oh, please don't say Baltimore. Whoa. Please don't say Baltimore. 
I read uh, their first issue of their Halo franchise. Oh, wow. You know, they got the rights to the uh, Halo comics. I guess Marvel didn't want them anymore. Little known fact, I think we all forget, but Bendis and Malieve, their little partnership did a, it was a Halo comic for like a year. Really? Like. Yeah. It was like delayed all the time. I think it was timed with Halo 3. But mm. only like one issue had come out, and it was written from the point of view of like just two, like member two humans, Schlubs. like uh, they were just like in the middle of you know, of a war. So Master Chief was like barely in it, from what I remember. You would think that would be like the greatest team up ever, but I think it was late, super late. Anywho, uh, this one tells the story. It sounds like before Halo Four, so it's at the end of three. Uh, Master Chief is missing, presumed dead, and all the Spartans are missing in action. So this guy wants to fire up the Spartan program again, even though the chick that ran it uh, before him pretty much just like stole these kids and turned them into Spartans, whether they wanted to or not. And it follows uh, this one, uh, uh, what are they called, shock trooper? Or like hella jump trooper, I can't remember, but they drop out of like little uh, canisters from the sky and come out and start wreaking havoc. I think you were you were that character in ODST, so I think they were an ODST soldier. And uh, he tries to recruit this chick to, if she wants to become a Spartan. It was actually really good. It's probably one of the better Halo comics I read. It was better than the Bendis one. It was better than the the miniseries after that, which I think followed Master Chief as a youth. I actually like that one. Um, is his given name like John Seventeen? John One One Seven. John One One Seven. So yeah. I mean, that I was have a great. Tattooed on my back. I. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. I don't know if uh, Slim was clear. They no, steal children, and replace them with imperfect clones that they know will eventually go crazy. What? Yeah, like that's how they get Spartans. They're gonna swap it out with some crazy clone. That was a great mini. Hmm. So. So do the imperfect clones become Spartans or the No, pe- the, the actual kids children, stole? the stolen children become the That's Spartans. That's crazy. I did not know. That's that. life in the future, Dale. Yeah. I know. I you just got to make sure you can get it done. I once again I've had the camera on Dale for like 30 minutes I didn't realize. <laughs> and Sorry, why did everybody. you even stop? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Hopefully our boy Miguel O'Hara can clear things up. Miguel Miguel, Miguel, Miguel. I think it's pronounced in 2099. You wish it were pronounced that way. So, uh, definitely liked it. Um, I mean, licensed comics, I'm never really drawn to, but the Halo franchise is just one I hold very dear. Even though I may never play another Halo game as long as I live, that single-player campaign has just been done to death. My God, it's awful. Uh, so check it out. Have you read all of the Halo comics regardless because of your love? In my my love affair? Yeah. My mistress? My lady mistress, Halo? Um... I tried to read them, but like in the case of the the Bendis one, it just took so long. I lost total interest in the comic when it first came out, mm-hmm. and the other one, I I'm not sure if I finished. Um, and I also watched the little TV miniseries that they did on the web when four came out, which actually wasn't bad because uh, it follows some recruits, and then there's like this big reveal where Master Chief comes out and and helps them escape uh, during the war. And it would remind, it wasn't as good as like do you remember when that guy did just District Nine did those mini movies for Halo Three I think it was or Halo Two, 
on the web and they were like, yeah, this guy's going to direct the Halo movie. And everyone was like Jane and their peas. <laughs> it wasn't that good, but it was pretty good. Knocking over the employee in the Stanley Cologne booth. With section, <laughs> section nine, yeah. Uh, Jonesy loves beer. You're a, you're an alcoholic, and we're witnessing it tonight. Uh, but what did you read? Uh, I'm going to continue on that dark horse and talk about uh, Captain Lord Henry Baltimore's The Infernal Train, issue number one. Uh, let me just say Mignol's done it again, just in case you were concerned. <laughs> That this would be of low quality. Uh, this follows, uh, you know, Baltimore is on the uh, the trail of Hagis. And, of course, he's taken as one of his favorite sojourns, famous delays. He, uh, he takes a side quest to Budapest. And during that time, he's supposed to confront this priest who thinks um, that Baltimore is just as evil as the things he's hunting. And Baltimore's going to kind of set him straight so he can continue his mission. And while he's there, kind of like staying overnight, waiting for this priest who's late, he uh, happens to look out his window and sees that the, a group of vampires is creating, you know, incubus or incubi, whatever the plural of that word is, in the streets and then feeding the incubi to a phantom train. Uh, so he hops out, he investigates, and he's brought back to an older memory of when he was whole, and he saw a similar train, and uh, he investigates, and he finds the vampire mistress, Lucrezia, and, uh, you know, he's like, I need more more than this bolt-action rifle, because there's 12, like, Hagus-level vampires on it, so Hagus, quick backstory, is like, they call him the Red, I don't know if it's the Red King or the Red Priest vampire, he's like pretty high up on the scale. So Baltimore recognizes the fact that 12 of Haggis-level vampires are on this train. So he, like, breaks into the city armory and he gets some big, you know, BFG case that's got to have some kind of firepower on it. He's headed back to the train to uh, kill the vampires, and that's where the first issue ends. You know, on a, you know, on a nice cliffhanger, you know Baltimore's going to bring it. And Absolutely. Uh, cannot wait for the second issue. I I foresee him, because he, he does... Uh, at the most, like, inopportune time, he runs into the priest. Oh, right, right, right. Like, just and, as he's about to walk out with this huge case, yeah. the priest is like, stop right there. And he looks, the priest looked like he could hold, you know, handle himself. So I bet they team up, and then maybe the priest uh, thinks differently of Baltimore. This is what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that the priest offers Baltimore, like, a way out. Because Baltimore is pretty sure that he's going to end up in hell. Of mm-hmm. all the things he's oh, yeah. made to do by the end of this, and maybe the priest offers him like, you know, when you're done, come back and I'll do, you know, I'll absolve you. Okay, and he'll be done I'll with like it. That. I'm thinking that's where he's going to go with it. Who knows? I just one of, the, one of the best books out there. I can't get over how creative the book is on a on an issue basis. I mean, I mean, you know, the sh- the short arcs come out every couple months, but it's a train that burns, like the zombies. And what's it doing? What's the train do? Why is it? Why does it have uh, a, a, a uh, incinerator that burns the bodies of the plagued? I just I'm so creative, what? and the fact that Budapest is building a wall be- to to wall themselves in from the plague. It, I don't know. Absolutely one of the best books. Yeah, I and, love his uh, little alternate history that he does, and mm-hmm. just that one. The one scene that I like the most. 
is like it was such a like what I would call like a Baltimore moment where he like goes up to the train, he puts his hand on it, and he's like, Fire without smoke. I've seen this before. Mm-hmm. And then he like turns around and as he turns around there's the flashback behind him. What a great great issue. And I think uh doesn't Michael Golden also co write this? So it's yeah. not just uh Mignola. He does. But yeah. I can't remember. It's like maybe, Christy Golden or Michael Golden, I think. Um, what did I say? Mike Mignola and Michael I think Golden. Christy Golden. Oh, Christy Goldman? I thought it was Michael Golden for some reason. Weird. Well, Michael Mignola, you know, created it. Maybe that's I know, what you're thinking. Michael Golden. Misty Goldman sounds like an adult movie star. <laughs> Misty Misty Goldman does. Christy Goldman, however. <laughs> sounds like a regular well-adjusted person. It's a, there's a Goldman involved. That's all I'm trying to say. I think uh, Michael Golden played uh, Alfred in like the first Keaton Batman film, didn't he? Uh, Dale underscore A, please take us away. Get us off this inferno Christopher Golden, looking at the cover. H-Town. Mike Mignola, Christopher Golden, Ben Thank Steinbeck. You. Thank you Dave very Seward. much. All that, and I'm proven right. It feels great. No, he wasn't Michael Golden. He was Christopher Golden. Feels great. <laughs> Misty, Misty Golden, Misty <laughs> Goldman, and Linda Lovelace. Oh, jeez. Eternal Warrior, issue number one. Yes. Oof. Uh, real quick. Yeah. Back to BCC. I'm sitting there talking to Chris Somney. Jonesy's next to me. <laughs> Be bopping around. <laughs> and Chris has somebody at his booth on his side of the table. So, you know, they're all business over there. And it turns out to be a new editor at Valiant Comets, uh, mm. Alejandro Arbona, I think his name is. I know Sounds his first name right. Alejandro for sure. And this man has totally pumped me up to be Valiant cheerleader. And aside from the fantastic interview I heard with uh, two of the heads of Valiant Comics, Dinesh and uh, Walter Simons, uh, Simmons, Warren, Warren, Warren. Warren. my apologies. <clears throat> so uh, this Alejandro is new and he is excited about the, you know, where Valiant's headed and he's going to be editing a few books, including uh, Eternal Warrior. He's going to be doing Quantum and Woody, which I'm now super fan of because, mm. I mean, this guy, he just took time. He was there meeting with Chris Somney, but while Chris was talking to Jonesy, he just, I mean, he was just classy enough to just talk to me a little bit while he was there. He didn't have to. And it was just an exciting experience. So uh, around comes the Eternal Warrior number one. It's a number one, so it's perfect to uh, jump on. Mr. Greg Pock, who I believe is, uh, they, I think they pick Greg Pock because he's fearless and he will write anything. If you, if given the opportunity, he, and just thinking like the, um, extreme X-Men, Hercules, just, he'll just write what, whatever I think challenges him. And the Eternal Warrior is no different. Gorgeous book by, uh, Trevor Hersine. It's my boy. Yeah. What else does he do? He did, uh, he X-Men. He with him. Deadly Genesis, that miniseries with Brubes. Mm, okay. And uh, he did the Planet Death prelude issues for Exo Manowar. Oh, nice. Oh, okay. Um, well, he... Oh, also one more. Um, Go ahead. He did Secret Six, or Ultimate Six, that Marvel miniseries we were talking about uh, a couple episodes back. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. 
um, so the, the Eternal Warrior is uh, uh, goes by is Gilad is his name, and he is immortal. He is not invulnerable. He can die, but he just doesn't age. He uh, has lived many many lives, being a warrior in a clan that fights for the earth. You know, they have a shaman who uh, speak and they try to defend the earth against black magics and demons and things like this. And he has fostered children. And his daughter is as bloodthirsty as he is. And uh, first of the most issue, most of the first issue is uh, centers around one battle about 6,000 years ago where they're fighting... Uh, basically drugged warriors who can't die. They're basically zombies, but they're only because they can't die unless you attack them in the head. And he has assigned his daughter to stay back, protect the women and children while they fight what turns out to be, it's going to be a losing battle until his daughter on one panel arrives riding the back of an elephant and it's just like a total BA moment because just the the inner monologue around those panels and then you turn the page and there she is riding this huge beast. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a boost your morale. You're ready to get back in the fight. But she takes a little too far. She is going to go attack the base camp of the enemy and, and their women and children. Cut the uh, bloodlines off so there can be no more of this madness as they go on. Now the the warriors of Galad's side, they don't do that. You know, that's kind of not the classic thing to do. These women and children aren't fighting the battle. Um, But nonetheless, the battle continues, and it doesn't end as happily as they wasn't to... They don't... It doesn't end as happily as it could have been. 6,000 years later, Galad is living solitary life in Africa today. He has a pup... And he has avoided confrontation for some time. He's solitary. He lives by himself until the last page or so. His daughter shows back up again. Basically, it sounds like her hat is in hand. I've She's tried to do some things, and things kind of went really bad. And outside of his cabin in Africa are like these almost like Nazgul, Black Rider-looking beasts they have uh, like plate and, and chain mail weapons and horses and uh, I can't wait to see where this this can go I hope I described it well enough because it's really good the it's art is wild. fantastic and I'd, I'd like to see how this um, this kind of fits into Unity which Unity. is going to be the team book coming out <laughs> and, uh uh, I, I recommend checking it out. I mean, it's a number one, so you have no reason to uh, at least give it a chance. And props to Greg Pak and Trevor Hairstein. Anytime someone says that word in the office, I sing it. It's like anytime. It could be ten times a day. I don't even care. I believe it. I'm intrigued at that Unity title. We'll see. Yeah. Who's who's drawing it? Do we know who's drawing it? Unity? Anybody? Yeah. Mm. No, we could get somebody on that. Can probably. we get the intern on that? Yep. Um, two sentences or less. I'll be the intern. Uh, another book you read 
lightning round, the most popular segment in the history of this show. Hands down. Deadpool. Number 16. Part 2 of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. A man from Deadpool's past has come back and wants something from him. Trillium. Uh, that, was only, um, that was only one sentence. Oh, sorry. It's okay, I apologize. <laughs> Good heavens. Wow. Lightning. Oops. Uh, there was such a long of... pause. <laughs> that was like a tenth of the Dale underscore A yeah. pause that has yeah. ever happened on this Agreed. show. That was not a pause. <laughs> okay. Probably the best Deadpool story that I've read outside of Uncanny X-Horse. Now I'm finished. Trillium issue two. This is definitely ramping up to be a million times better than that awful movie, The Fountain. This will go down as one of Jeff Lemire's finest works. Mm. I was too busy interning. My apologies. Brain Boy, number one, Fred Van Lenty. It's your boy. My boy. Uh, <laughs> the federal government outsources security work to a bio company that has a Jean Grey level Brain Boy <laughs> on their payroll. What happens when a UN conference in the city of New York happens and a much maligned dictator arrives with similar powers? Brain Boy number one. We're running out of tape, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. <coughs> Spider-Man 2099. Were you done? Is that two cents? No, that was good. I, just, okay. I, I don't know what, why everybody's laughing. <laughs> uh, you know, the 90s, Marvel is just firing on all cylinders. Marvel 2099 is no different. They bring out their biggest characters, the and it's... The books take place in the future, 2099. Jonesy, please indulge us with what this book is about. Miguel O'Hara is a hot shot geneticist. I'm sorry, Miguel, as it's so <laughs> insensitively pronounced uh, 80 years from now. So Miguel is a crack, in-demand, hot shot uh, geneticist. And he is working for Alchemax Chemicals and like the corporate raider program. So he's going to make these super soldier esque, you know, enhanced corporate raiders to go attack other corporations. And a quick backstory: the twenty ninety nine universe. You know, there's no really government. The world is controlled by these you know super large conglomerates that kind of run the world. So uh, Miguel is like, you know. CEO guy, I'm not really down with this anymore and how you want to use this tech. 
so I'm out. So the guy's like, no problem. I've just addicted you to the most addictive drug on the planet. So now you're mine. So strung out on this. Classic CEO move. (laughs) (laughs) Strung out on the super heroin. Uh, Miguel's like, the only way to uh, get rid of this is to use the flashback on my Mac, on my DNA. And then uh, I'll be back to the genetic code I had before I was addicted. And I'll be good as gold, right as rain. So he goes there, and of course his lackey, his lab lackey, who's jealous of him, throws together the spider DNA he's working on in there just to goof up the process. And uh, Miguel comes out of the chamber, you know, no longer addicted to drugs. Thank God, that's awful. But also with incredible Spider-Man-esque powers. The whole arc is really a character development of Miguel as he matures... Uh, learns what it, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, that old rag. And he learns that because people see him as a hero and anti-corporate and uh, anti-Alchemax, just because he didn't start that way doesn't mean he can forget about it and not pick up that banner and start saving innocence. Spider-Man 2099. (laughs) (laughs) I I uh obviously I, I do have this print so I got it when it first came out but it feels like it, um Rick well first Rick Leonardi's art when uh I remember I have like one really old uncanny X-Men and it, I think it was part of like the fall of the mutants and I remember the cover was amazing and then I opened the book and it's Rick, Rick Leonardi art and as a kid I was like man this is dog crap <laughs> like going from like Mark Silvestri uh, when I was younger to his art was like it just like blew my mind. Like I just wasn't mentally prepared for his kind of art. And now rereading it, I don't know why, but it feels like a perfect fit for this book. Where as I don't, I don't like it when I was in the X Men universe when I was younger, but now in the future, and I don't know, maybe I can absorb different styles of art. It definitely fits. And every page of the first issue like brings back memories when I first read it, and almost every page is like perfect to me. Um, but it, the series changes kind of like when you when you read through. I don't know if it was just like printed on different paper or they used cheaper paper later, but the colors definitely seem different. They pop a little differently like later in the series, maybe issue three or four. Um, but I I loved going back and reading this. I thought it was hilarious. I thought my favorite part was that Miguel uh, O'Hara, um, he wasn't like, he didn't have this big story where he was meant to be a hero. In a lot of the scenes, he wasn't like a Peter Parker character. Like, he wasn't wisecracking. In fact, the first villain that he fought was the one that was wisecracking the whole time, and he kept his mouth shut. And a lot of the scenes, it just didn't feel like he wanted to be a hero. Like, he was forced into it. And I think that was evident the most part in that one scene where he gets shot and is like recovering in the trash. And this woman is about to get hard hard in front of her kid and he comes out and distracts or like he interrupts the process. And his first line is like, somebody help me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like a perfect antithesis of how you would expect, uh, uh, you know, a heroic age hero as they called them in this comic book. And even then he wasn't even super heroic. He barely even did anything. This chick just, 
took care of the rest once he created this distraction and he was kind of a jerk kind of in that entire issue but it just uh for me reading it it fit who that character was as compared to spider-man of current day yeah the it took it took many it took a few issues for me to kind of get into the groove of the book i had a lot of nostalgia for it i don't know i remember buying this down the street at the one stop it was called but i definitely had i hadn't bought 10 issues i knew that um and i know i see why like they just re-released the trade paperback and they put the first 10 issues in it and i could see why they almost they put 10 issues in no less because it's almost you might feel a little shortchanged cuz issue 10 is like where it all congeals Mm-hmm. Um, love that word. Yeah, he's not. I mean, he's not accepting of his. He didn't definitely didn't. Uh, he takes his superpowers in stride. He's he's not one that, uh, you know, he didn't want them, and you know, force browbeating his lab assistant for his lab assistant to try to basically kill him. Like he tried to kill him. He just Miguel O'Hara got off easy because he's a spider, but uh, you know, for just like for carry levels of <laughs> making fun of the lab assistant. I mean, the lab <laughs> assistant deserved his fate to get plopped off the side of the building there. Hmm. Um, but. It was. I like how it was a slow burn of him trying to kind of grasp his powers, and get a hold of them, and and kind of learn what it meant to be somebody with uh, power, and what it what you had to be responsible with it. Um, I'm not so sure that I I agree with that slow burn only because it was. It was a whole lot of, um, a whole lot of nothing. I felt at times. Um, I liked it. The art. I think the art goes good with the book, and that I don't know if that's saying, that's that, that that's a compliment. I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. But it just it felt like the there was uh the lack like it, there was trying to be some world building, but it didn't like stick with me. Until like issue eight, nine, and ten. I enjoyed, uh, for the most part, I guess how they tried to make this Spider-Man com- a complete one eighty uh, in almost every facet, and I enjoyed like waiting to pick out those moments. Like overall, you know, Miguel O'Hara is not a likable guy, but the public loves him compared to Peter Parker, who you love, and the public hates. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Miguel has uh, got a, a steady relationship where, uh, you know, his girlfriend is dedicated to him and he blows her off. You know, Peter Parker has just a string of, you know, love, you know, love relationships that are constantly, he is constantly uh, putting in jeopardy. Uh, he's got this wonderful relationship with a mother figure, you know, his Aunt, his Aunt May, who you know they support each other 100%. Miguel O'Hara can't stand his mother 
and kind of wishes a little bit that she wasn't faking being dead every 10 minutes. Like there's just gr- there's just great like anti points to Peter Parker that I loved when the story got around to. <clears throat> I thought if anything the action felt most out of place. Um I loved mm-hmm. it. I loved the layouts. I loved the fact that he was always swinging on webs. He had the great web cape which I I love I that, that costume. Cape, yeah. I absolutely mm-hmm. love that costume. Um which is crazy how it's it was just like a Mexican. Yeah, it was just like a saltation co- that you could get on the uh, at, you know get on the street at any moment. Um, Made of unstable molecules, which you know you could buy any off the suit. rack, off the rack, unstable molecules. Twenty nine nine, exactly. So I, it was just a really great antithesis to the Spider Man we all know and love, and for that. For that point overall, I really enjoyed it. I don't know that I could ever continue with this series like monthly. Like if they were just going to generate a Marvel Now title called, you know, Spider Man 2099. I don't know if I'd be on board. I don't know if this group of characters really, you know, draws me in that much. But I've never read anything beyond the first issue ever. So Mm -hmm. getting to read these was a treat. Because I knew I would never do it on my own, but I finally got to see the whole story and how he kind of, and, and at this point, parallel to Spider-Man, where he, he kind of has to take on the mantle and kind of pay for the things he done. You know, he's done basically being a D-bag his whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, now he's got the opportunity to do the right thing. So, I, I mean, I, overall, I enjoyed it. And I really, like as, as I said, I really love those anti-Spider-Man points that, they made sure to, you know, sprinkling like Easter eggs throughout the uh, story. I, I really like um, this shows it a lot, but I mean, there was sprinklings of it also in my youth that I was I used to be annoyed about. But I'm, I I like now is that they don't really play. They didn't really play on your nostalgia factor like this is definitely not 616 Spider-Man, like at least not ne- yet. There's uh in the fireside, I was going to, I was going to bring up the latest superior issue, but this is not, um, like, you know, there's these, uh, group of religious zealots waiting for the return of Thor, but, and Dr. Doom is in it for an issue. Like, I guess, and I guess it's the Dr. Doom, but it's not like, um, I, I don't know what, I don't know the description I'm trying to, make but other than like the stark fukijawa corporation there isn't all these uh references to 616 like thrown in your face like uh you know miguel o'hara is peter parker's grandson which i i I honestly think he is you find out in the future but this is trying so hard to be its own thing that I, I was annoyed by that in years ago, like especially not, and less so with this, but more like the X Men, X Men twenty ninety nine. Oh man, I, I was so annoyed. I was like, "Who are these people? Why are they not like? Mm-hmm. Why do they not Where have the same Wolverine? exact powers? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, why do they not I have the same so exact powers as as, as X Men book? <laughs> so, um, but the, you know, but the the struggle I had with the first six or seven issues. By 8, 9, and 10, I mean, I really became invested to read the rest. I really liked where it was going, and I liked how it addressed um, 
Miguel's parents and the and his why there's such a strained relationship with his mother and his uh, the relationship he had with his father and the weird dynamic about how they both dated the same girl Miguel's currently dating like him and his brother have dated Dana and Dana's currently with Miguel but the other two clearly talk about the good old days when Dana used to massage Gabriel's back oh, right yeah. in front of Miguel mm-hmm. and Ooh. now Ooh. Gabriel is like this hyper like non-man of action like I would be he's probably like me I, I've never been in a fight you know a serious fight in my life and sh- and he is like shacking up with this freedom fighter vigilante woman from downtown which is bad news when you know in Nueva York Nueva York uh, <laughs> it's like I don't understand how the two of them got together and why they mix so well but I, I don't know. I like, I just liked everything about 8, 9, and 10. I like how M- Miguel finally accepts who he has to be. And I, like, that was the starting point. And I can see why they put that last issue as the first volume in the trade paperback because that, like, sets up the rest of the 40, 30 some issues. I think this was the longest selling 2099 title with, like, 40 or 41 issues. I do love that in the, uh, the, the I still don't know what you call that, but the top left corner of the cover where they show like the mini art of the character and the number underneath. Mm-hmm. In issue two, he's doing the famous Spider-Man like standing pose that was used in a lot of the uh, cover art for Spider-Man over the years. But um, the one thing I that like I know it's the future. They say shock a lot as the curse word. Yeah, and uh, I was like, more, I was what took me out of the story more often than not was the nicknames at that. Miguel and Gabriel had for each other. Like Gabriel called Miguel Mig or Mig, M I G, and I couldn't Mig. figure out how he would have pronounced that shorthand. And then Miguel called Gabriel Gabri. Like, why would you shorthand yeah. Gabriel <laughs> and not even make it like Gabe? But you would call him Gabri. That's the worst sense. shorthand ever. I pronounced that Gabri. <laughs> like, I don't know why. Gabri. I'm. If they're Does not roll Spanish, the R every time? then I'm. If they're not Spanish Irish. Then I am mad as H. Gabri. <laughs> like, his name is Miguel. So it's mm-hmm. got to be Spanish, right? But his last name's O'Hara. I don't... This, it's 2099, Dale. And then for the longest time, I'm so glad that uh, Dana brought it up to Tyler Stone. But Tyler kept calling him Mike. And oh, I'm like, yeah. his name's not Mike. Why do you keep calling him Mike? That's so disrespectful. And uh, Dana's like, you know, he hates when you call him that. And then he just continue to call him that anyway and tyler How? stone is such a action like early 90s action hero or villain, villain. name yeah. tyler stone max power like it's just oh man what a terrible name i mean the the what he does to miguel in that first issue was like so hardcore with getting him addicted to a drug that's legal and has no cure i mean what it's yeah. just crazy it was bonkers and then obviously he doesn't <sighs> He doesn't have remorse for doing it, but they kind of, I mean, the way they write him, he almost seems like, he almost they almost make it seem like Peter Dave was like backtracking a little bit. Like maybe he did regret getting mm-hmm. him addicted to drugs. It certainly seemed that it's way when he was talking to Dana, not. which is, I know is, yeah, yeah, which is like super villain setup. And, and I mean, after mentioning they got, a, they got him addicted to this stuff, and his like first bout of the DTs, they never showed him like 
did he ever beat it, or does he not need it as I because think, he's Spider Man? I think I f- when he went through the Spider Man process, he lost the need for it, and then okay. he like faked that he needed it later. As like a cover story. Okay, yeah. because I was I was a little confused there because Dana's like, oh, he must have been getting it through the black market, and I like I was I like well. They just didn't show that part, so I didn't know whether he was getting it through the black market or not because he brought it up like he was still addicted. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I Who guess do you he think doesn't was the it. the boss that Tyler Stone answered to? My assumption was Kingpin, like Kingpin was somehow still alive. Does mm-hmm. anybody remember the mystery guy that was in a few issues or like the last two issues that Tyler Stone was talking to? Yeah, I was I was completely now I I was very confused. That could be. The kingpin. I mean, I'm sure oh. we could just get the intern on it and look up now since it's been over. It's been but twenty years. It's been twenty years since people asked that <laughs> 20, question. Who was that mystery years. character that was revealed two issues later? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. They might. It might be all spoiled for you in the first uh, appearance of him in Superior Spider-Man. You never know <sighs> until the fireside. Uh, but I mean, Jonesy. I, I had never. I, I think I might. I've even read past the first few issues, but I was. Uh, it's a nice little treat. I mean, I'm not saying they're excellent issues, yeah. but it was cool to to read a totally different book than what was being published at the time. I mean, I, I, yeah, it was a nice treat, and the later the later issues certainly I really liked, and I would like to figure out what all happened. But, uh, just the, I mean, the vulture was a cannibal, and was like he ever? it was it was like a, a little zany, like the plot lines because the vulture saved Spider-Man so he could get Spider-Man on his side to take down Alchemax. But when Spider-Man refused, Vulture just comp- just is set out to kill him. Like, in three panel, three pages, it goes from point A to point B to point C, like, immediately. And the zaniness of that and the, um, what was the, uh, was the uh, Stark Fukijawa guy solitaire? Oh, the the, oh, uh, yeah. the samurai. Yeah, Listen, Mel- that's what, ha- that's what happens in the future, baby. That <laughs> happens. That just reminded me of Sandy from the Song of Ice and Fire because uh, uh, this one is uh, a very happy <laughs> uh, Spider Man twenty ninety nine. <laughs> Read it. Wor- a worthwhile trip. Definitely. Yeah. We got your letters I'm gonna open them up Farrington's gonna read them To you You were great on the pianos Thank you They call them the the pianos? I think that's what they call call that on slang I think we call Mm -hmm. them the uh, the 88 The the ivories Uh, Letters of paper keg dot com uh if you have time shoot us an email do we get any emails i don't think anybody had time this no. week uh, now we it's uh, great, it's this is not our usual recording night i don't no, blame them pe- people weren't prepared i think there's like what is there a pay-per-view tonight oh my god i shot the pay-per-view off to record this uh podcast oh jeez people yeah. people are still reeling over uh breaking bad i mean <laughs> Hashtag Breaking Bad. I muted. People are probably curled up in the corner somewhere. Only I can only assume. I don't know about this show. But. I muted the word Walt Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. <laughs> hashtag Breaking Bad. Uh, AMC. 
So if if anyone Good ever luck. says any words related to that, I'll never see it, ever. Good luck, You've though. You've just I given mean... me the way <laughs> to spoil you. Uh, what a show! Probably one of my favorite shows. Yeah, especially I... when uh, when you told those stories about how Dale and Chris Somni are best friends now. Yeah, they are. We're like that's not even a joke anymore. They're like for real best friends in real life. Nah. Like when uh, Dale, look at him. Dale and uh, you know Mrs. Underscore renew their vows in ten years. Somni will be the new best man. That's all. That's all. I'm leaving it like that. Hopefully, get another sketch from him for a wedding present. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> what would your next sketch from Chris Somni be if you had to choose right now? Jeez, I don't know. Uh, I'd probably go. Oh God, I don't know. I'd say. Uh, that Kirk, Spock, and McCoy picture that you posted. <laughs> a Somni rendering. Uh, we'll see everybody next week. wrestler of all time here he is folks who's a machismo <laughs> razor ramon here in the flesh no that was dale underscore a everybody I'm sorry that was not I'm sorry him. that was not a sound clip. you i did not mean to think make you think scott hall was in this room with me he very well could have been he's got nothing else to do my nights it, when I, I don't murder someone in a parking lot of stripping. <laughs> when I don't go to bed at nine o'clock, I am up watching wrestling videos on the YouTube app on my Apple TV. It's like a WWF app. That's all there is to it. it. I watched uh, SummerSlam ladder match two: Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon. Whew, what a classic! You know mm. the rematch from WrestleMania ten, as you're sure. probably well aware. And. <laughs> I think we should do we teased it last week but I definitely now after having read a few pages we should do uh, Paper Keg Nights 2 crossed Ooh. as our next really? episode Ooh. we were discussing that, this and that's gonna be really? controversial controversial <laughs> So Absolutely big, I can't pronounce it. the word Jonesy's, right. Jonesy's so scared that he can't even pronounce controversial. <laughs> he, he immediately just drank another beer immediately after I you said I didn't even have that. one down here yet. Somehow I turned this water into beer. He's afraid to get caught with that in his home. I mean... I am down, though. I am so I down. I don't want to get divorced, I'm licking guys. my <laughs> chapped lips. I, I read a few I pages can't have of cross it last in his week, house. And it was one of the... I, I, there's no words to describe it. I mean, I I did use words to describe it in a private text conversation that may not ever be said on air. But whew, boy, howdy! Because that would be spoilers for the show. 
could be the biggest biggest episode we've ever done. PK Nights wait. 2 crossed volume We're one. We're going to schedule that. We got to schedule. I mean, the fall's coming as a chill in the air. It's perfect for uh it's probably perfect for this kind of thing. You know? I'm a little scared for Jonesy. I I'm also scared. Are you going to have to go myself. to the library to read this? I, I might have to do the old download it on my iPad, find an abandoned parking lot. Yeah. You yeah, know. you're dead if you do that. I like that. how you that's, were... that gets prefaced with the old, as if you've done that several <laughs> times before. <laughs> yeah. Old hat. Oh, God, the return. In the city of angels, on the cover of night. I think the world is ready. Right? First ever uh, Paper Cake Nights, we did only listen to them. Uh, what was it? We only did adult comics first time around. Yep. And we did Black Kiss too as the book club. Yowzers. I think Dale referred to everybody as Dagmar after that. Dagmar, Dagmar, <laughs> Dagmar, Dagmar. That's all I saw. Any female in a comic book was Dagmar. <laughs> Women with penises. <laughs> Dagmar. <laughs> PK Knights. <laughs> Man, I'm excited. So are we going to do this uh, next show or two ne- shows? Cause ne- what's, do we have anything planned for next show? We do. I, uh, no, I downloaded like it. Three days so away. Hopefully. What we did? What was yeah. it? Uh, did you get that? East, Eastland? Wasteland. Well, oh, that's one. right. I forgot about that. Another 13-issue book when we're trying to read it, Kira. <laughs> okay. I never said next. I said want to want to take advantage of the sale that's for right. future show. We could do Jonesy it immediately jumps to conclusions. Shed. Wasteland. Jump to conclusion, <laughs> Matt. Yeah. It's got conclusions you can jump to. Uh, I say we do the next show. Do Wasteland after. All right. Let's do it. Let's strike while the iron oh, out is of our minds. And that I, iron I, is being used to emblaze someone's genitals and cross. I got to get a bunch of uh, adult comic books in the next four days. I have to stockpile. I, gotta I start thinking. I was under right the impression now. we're going to read a bunch of issues and then we're going to do it like Rucka style. Is that oh, right? you want to do you want to do cross for the entire episode? What? Jonesy, can I just ask? <laughs> in what? Where do you you? Form these plans in your head like we've discussed them. I don't get it. <laughs> Help me get it. <laughs> Are we doing Shed the same episode, Spider-Man Shed, you, that you've read four times for the so, book club that we... Sometimes Josie just sends texts, and then he formulates his own plan after one. We doing, we doing Shed, boys? And then we, we, if we don't <laughs> respond for ten minutes, it's already done. Josie's bought them and read them. He's read them. And he's put he's a plan together for that episode that he already it's, it's already done. Now it's Rucka style, just all crossed. It can be. Paper cake crossed. Oh, I mean, man. I'm fine with that. But wow. but when you say under the impression, that means my white filter tickled. just turned pink. There, that that means the idea was tickled. The idea was never tickled. It was never ripped off and done, crossed style. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you want to do crossed? Are we going to do crossed ruckus? Rocket? I don't know. Style? We don't. I mean, we don't have the cross, to. I, the cross no, series. No, no. I don't know. If, I don't know what number it ends at. I don't even know what the issues numbers We'd numbers probably are. Throw up all over our keyboards <laughs> if we'd read that many and talked about them. 
what happens when one of us just doesn't even finish it because they can't? It's going to be either Jonesy or I. Dale is like, I'm Dale's, Dale's looking up the Avatar website right now. He's buying. He's having them shipped overnight. He's got them right I, uh, now. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's... A poor Amazon employee that's got to pick that from the library and <laughs> put it in the box. Some some mother just trying to make ends meet, working nights in the warehouse. Oh, oh my god! Up, starts thumbing through it. God, I can't wait. My god. face hurts from laughing. God help us! Your face is gonna hurt after you read this volume. I'm sure. What. So what about um? Did you guys read uh, Superior? Superior um, Spider Man. I think I did. Yeah, I read it. Did you? Felt I like did. a good. Yeah, slot uh, was very faithful. Although I think maybe Spider Man twenty nine twenty ninety nine was too um, jokey in costume. Maybe he got like that later in the issues that we didn't read. Yeah, know, that's what like, I wondered. Um, and which is possible. We only read the first ten issues, but I liked it. I thought it was. I was completely in love, and I loved. Just having read Spider Man twenty ninety nine, I loved it even more. And the uh the little seeds that slot has planted so early on, I, I guess it was all part of the plan, but like the guy who worked at Horizon Labs and was cross double crossed and he was out on the street, his name is sorry, spo- I don't know I don't spoil yeah, it. Spoil it's spoilers, everybody. If uh, this is superior Spider Man talk, uh Stone yeah, uh, great Obadiah great Stone grand. or whatever. Yeah, Obadiah and Stone the, I think was uh, from Iron Man, wasn't it? Obadiah. Yeah, I just I just <laughs> no? made up Obadiah. Oh, okay. I, so right. his name is like Tyler Stone or Tiberius yeah. Stone, which is completely amazing because he's been in the comics since like Peter started working at Horizon Labs, mm-hmm. and um, now he is a, an employee of Allen Chemical Company. Alchem, Alchemax, Alchemax. All I hear is Jonesy slurping that water Amazing. bottle down. <laughs> I just, I, I thought it was My cool pincers. how, um, how uh, Spider Man twenty nine ninety nine, the world was there. The, uh, it, it was cool. It was cool. Oh, I did like the tie in. Um, how how he got back was through that doorway that that fat dude was told never to open again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, that idiot. <laughs> And then he came, he came right through the door. Although I'm, I'm like super worried now, like uh, that um, Octavius so is like destroying Peter's reputation in Horizon. Like everyone just like hates Peter yeah. now, and it like it bugs me that it he's like out too. doing you know awful things and being a jerk as Peter. And I'm curious to know how um, what the fallout of that is. Like, eventually, when Peter does return, what's that like? Mm-hmm. Do you think this is all some master plan of Dan Slott to get it back to total status quo? I mean, Peter dating Mary Jane, him working at the Bugle as a photographer. Do you think that's the end of his entire run, is just to bring it back to the beginning, like full circle style? Maybe. I, know, I guess it would probably be interesting for him to write a Peter where he's kind of ruined his life. I mean, either Peter's like personal life is ruined, or Octavius brings it to a, such a high level. Mm-hmm. I imagine it being like either great or really bad when uh, Peter returns. 
I see the teasers too. I wonder what that's about. The return of Otto Octavius or the return of Doc Ock or something like that. Yeah, was it, but it's not like in the Spider-Man title, is it? Or is it like a miniseries or something? I think it's got yeah, it's, it's in a like, mini. It's a mini tie-in. And there's like a, there's a superior Doc Ock issue and then there's like an issue of Hulk. That's oh, a yeah. tie-in. I, don't know, and... I, just view, I view that as like a weird one shot that has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. That's how I kind yeah, of saw it right. when I first read the covers. But the uh, the twenty ninety nine references was really cool coming hot off the heels of I made sure to read that before we recorded just so I could uh pick up on any of the um to recap. I loved yeah, it. I did. Yeah. Wait, that was Dale, really you good. did? You you are you're caught up with the mm-hmm. uh Carlos Pacheco. Good stuff. I thought it was a great uh filler issue. I was talking to somebody else and they didn't like it because it was a filler issue, but I thought it was it was pretty great. I kind of I thought it was more like taking a breath, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Trying to you know tying up all the dimension Z zaniness, and then you know we're going to step back into something that's more traditionally Captain America. So you can't just jump into that. You just kind of you know circle the wagons yeah. moment. That yeah. that yeah. last page when he uh, takes those memorabilia like that was giving it oh chills a little bit. I screenshotted the heck out of that page. That was so deep. Like I mean. You could see Jet's point. Like, I, I'm curious to see where Jet goes as a character. But him burning all that stuff, man, that was deep. This was is deep the, stuff. This is the part where, like, I, I think we even talked about doing this as a book club at one point, which we forgot. I think, but Rucka style, Rucka I've style. Already, I've already uh, purchased. You've already it, read, read it, it and, and written notes. You thought it was next episode, <laughs> but you kept that to yourself. Um, this is where another part where I didn't like the ending reveal, which I wish he would have kept until a year or two from now, because I feel like, um, knowing what I know at the end of that mini takes a little bit back from how I can relate to Cap being miserable. Like, I guess Sharon Carter's death is big for him, but the Ian part would have been way bigger and was until the little after the credits scene. Like I if think, if that yeah. if that wasn't shown, this would be even better. Like Cap was just like he lost two people. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but and knowing maybe that Ian comes back in the future in the present, and he's got to deal with that type of deal. Yeah, yeah. Like if been, yeah, if that was kept hidden and secret from me, like I would have hated Remender, but I would have loved it because it was so emotionally grasping. But it's, I mean, it's still great. I still love what's happening with Cap. Yeah, it's I love a more interesting character. I love in this issue where like, and this is something that's like super overly stated in the Marvel U. But for some reason, in this issue, it really hit home. Is when Nick Fury's got Jet in the interrogation room, and he's like, you know, your father's one of the most hated people to ever come, you know, from the planet Earth. And based on that alone, you know, I would throw you in a deep dark cell. But because you got the best guy on the planet vouching for you, I don't. And, like, you really kind of almost forget that there's this level of awe and respect for Cap. But, I don't know, Nick Fury kind of put it in perspective for me when I was uh, reading it. And I kind of always forget about that aspect of uh, Cap and the Marvel U that he's so well revered. Sharon even had a great line in the issue before that where she's going after the, I think she was going after Jet. 
and she has that line where she's like, and she says, you know, Cap is vouching for you, and he's and as long as I've known him, he's never been wrong about anybody in his life, which I thought was a great line, where he like puts his cards behind somebody, he's never wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also thought it was cool where they're hiding the Ian story from everybody, like nobody knows except for Cap and Jet and Sharon. Beautiful stuff. <clears throat> Thor yeah. too. Did you read Thor? Is that the yeah, one Thor where, great. where he like was that the one shot where he tries to make a difference or he, he like goes back to people or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, also he's like kind of visiting a take a breath story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was like he was just amazing and then he got to Jane Foster, which is like punch you in the stomach. Uh real life <laughs> like Everything the uh, you know Shield can do to fix Cap, Jane Foster has cancer. Spoilers, and uh, there's just nothing to be done about that. And it was just like all the little stuff that Thor does to go out of his way to spend time, you know, making a difference on a personal level with all these different people, and oh, it's just a great, great story. The little funny part where like her new boyfriend is like super intimidated by the fact that <laughs> yeah. she dated Thor for a while and he's like can I get you anything like he's like are you okay out there yeah he's like I sense your uh your new boyfriend does not like me or something <laughs> yeah. like that uh just uh, and oh, then man. and then Thor like takes her like like she's like well if Walter didn't hate you before and that then he, he like, certainly does now he flies her to the moon <laughs> to so she could see a sunset Amazing stuff. I think Ron Garney takes over, right? For like the next arc? Yeah, I think you're right. Man, Did I you hope see not. that um there's uh an Assad Ribic like weird Marvel Now point now one shot that he's doing for Avengers? It's no, like this weird like number one, it's called Rogue Planet, but I think it's like one of their point one issues or it's very confusing, but I'm excited that Assad Ribic is doing some more cap stuff. That um Love Cap. Cabbage yeah. is hitting it right now out of the park. Mm. Rick Remendo, guys. Mm. Did you see that uh, Uncanny X Force Omni? So I'm tweeting about it. What? Absolute Spoiler. edition? Hmm? Huh? You haven't read that whole thing, right, Dale? No, I haven't. Oof. You're saying oh, we should man. do that Rucka style for oh, <laughs> after I would Akira, love to do obviously. that Rucka style. We need to cool out Ruckus style talk I think, <laughs> until we get Akira done. Let's just all put that on the slow burn. You're right. You're right. But I am all. I'm all for Remendo. Uh, the Dark Ruckus Angel styling. stuff. Ugh. Even though the Skinless Man arc, I wasn't fond of. It's okay. You gotta. You just gotta soldier through it, like Cap in mm. Dimension Z. Yeah, I'm looking through my screenshots and I see all these great Cap lines. Oh, and some Fear Agent ones too. Mixed in, Girl. mixed in your photo stream. Yeah. Also, another great one from the Batman and Robin run this year, where uh, this guy tried to murder Robin. Mm-hmm. There's like this great full page view, and Batman is saying in the speech bubble is like in red. You try to murder my son and expect to live. <laughs> and he's like holding the cape like this. So great. Something's gonna get. Something's, Something's gonna, gonna break. break.